my involvement with the church goes back uh, quite a while, probably surprisingly so. So my first service here at Sutton Vineyard was about 23 years ago, um, and it was really good fun. Um, I needed to get signed in <laughs> in order to be here. So uh, if memory serves me correctly, uh, my very first Sunday here was in, in the room opposite. There was one room that was used for, for youth work, um, and before me and my siblings turned up, there were five other kids in Sutton Vineyard, so I think considering what we've just heard, um, that alone is uh, pretty good to get exciting if, uh, if that's all that we take away from, from this morning, so absolutely amazing. Um, but more recently, um, Sarah, and, uh, my wife Sarah and I were called to uh, join a church plant out of Sutton, so we were at Merton Vineyard for around about five years, I think it's about six years. <laughs> um, and during that time, I was, a, I was a trustee at Merton. We were part of the leadership team. Um, and Matt Gush, it was uh, led by Matt and Mel Gush at the time, he invited me to be part of the preaching team. So uh, I was able to stand up and, and, and talk there a few times. And so when Jason and I were talking uh, a few months ago, he, he actually invited me to stand up today um, and continue our series on James. So it's absolutely fantastic to be here. Um, and this morning, we are going to be, uh, we're doing week eight of James, and we're going to be talking talking on James 4 verses 1 to 12. But before we start that, I just probably want to ask a few questions about how everyone's feeling. So, um, are you content with life? That's a big question, isn't it? Are you satisfied with what you have? Are you comparing yourselves to others at all? Worse one, are you comparing yourself to where you thought you'd be in life at this point? That's a tricky one, isn't it? Is anyone angry, a bit disillusioned, a bit fed up? Sarah, my wife, sent me a meme that I think uh, has really been resonating with me recently, and it said, being an adult is saying, all I've got to do is get through this week over and over and over again. <laughs> is anybody irritable? Is anybody having any confrontations, arguments with people? Funnily enough, Sarah and I, speaking about my wife a lot this morning, <laughs> we generally tend to save our best arguments for a Sunday. I'm never quite sure why. So, some, of them, some of them we even remember because they're about important things. Some of them have been on the way to church. Some of them are just a continuation of the never-ending argument that is, where has Sarah hidden my trainers? Or whether or not someone can be entirely ready to leave but still just have to find some socks to put on. But this morning we're going to be talking about James 4 and he turns around and says to us, there's a reason why you might be feeling like this. There's a reason why you may be angry, disillusioned, fed up, have these arguments. And there is something that is so much bigger than this that we have available to us. So I just want to invite, does that sound like a, a good thing to be talking about, to listen to this morning? I hope so. So I'm just going to pray, and then we'll uh, make a start. <sighs> Dear Lord, we welcome you into this place this morning. We're here this morning because we say we want to be closer to you. We want, want to grow to know you more, Lord. I pray that you speak to us, let your Holy Spirit whisper in our ears the things we need to hear this morning. Close everybody's ears to anything of me and anything not of you and opens people's hearts to your word. We love you, we welcome you, and we want more of you. 
Amen. Perfect. Okay, well, like I said, we're talking on James 4 this morning, verses 1 to 12, and uh, I've actually split it up into, into three. I think Brian's given his views before about speaking on 12 verses. It's a pretty, it's a pretty big chunk. So I think the words are kind of come up behind me. So first of all, we're looking at James 4, verses 1 to 5, and we're actually reading from the ESV version, the English Standard Version, this morning. So what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You cover and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Bang. (laughs) James straight in again with some easy words to be preaching on. I'm very pleased that Jason has entrusted me to, to speak on this easy message this morning. I think uh, a few weeks ago, J- uh, Jason was um, uh, doing a, a series on, on, on Psalm 23, the amazing uh, analogy of the good shepherd um, and how God, Jesus, is, is, is the good shepherd. And it was talking about all the tools of a shepherd and the fact that you have the rod and the fact that you have uh, the staff and, 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 the, and, uh, and, and the rod being this pretty solid piece of wood that can be used to, to kind of protect the sheep or, or hit them on the head if they were doing something wrong. And I think James uses this really well and he comes in with it straight away, bang. What, co- what causes quarrels and what causes fun- fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? Your desire, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. These are pretty brutal words that we're kind of coming in straight away into this passage. And I really think that James, and he's pulled no punches. We've seen it in this series so far, is just getting to us and just kind of giving us a little bit of a shake. Um, I read the message version of this, uh, of this passage, and it starts with, wake up which I just think is absolutely fantastic. But I kind of read this and I thought to myself, I'm not entirely sure that this is written for me. <laughs> I don't feel like I, uh, I'm, I'm at war within myself or, or murdering. I mean, like, I encourage the people I work with and every now and then, you know, oh, they're frustrating, but I don't think that I've really murdered anyone. And so I went through um, a, a really good technique that, that when you are reading the Bible and you're kind of teaching that, you put yourself into, into that position. And, and one of the things that really spoke to me is actually all the way back to, to James 1, when we look at, when we look at how, this, uh, how this book starts. And I don't know if you remember, it was about nine weeks ago now, um, Jason started. Um, but he, uh, the, the letter actually starts with a very general in introduction. Unlike other letters that we might look at, um, this one's addressed to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Now, a little bit of background of, of what was going on uh, around about this time. Um, we read in, in Acts, Acts 7, there's an incredible passage where, where Stephen stands up and he, he delivers this, I call it a monologue, it's absolutely incredible part of, of, of the Bible where he stands up. And, and the response is that he's taken out into the streets and he's stoned to death. And it says that the church then scatters across Judea and Samaria. 
And that's where we are at the moment. And James writes this letter to his brothers and sisters and followers of Christ. And he turns around and he says, no matter where you are, no matter what you're up to, I know that this message is for you. I know what you're struggling with. And actually, it was when I read that that I thought, oh, I might need to self-reflect a little bit more here. <laughs> These powerful things. I, I read it again, and I thought to myself, am I an enemy of God? Am I friends with the world? And I thought, that's an easier thing to think of when I think of my friends that aren't Christians that don't have faith. And I see that a lot in them. They really struggle. They put all of the faith that they have in what's going on in their lives and potentially their jobs and their possessions. And then I kind of stood back and looked at this and thought, wait a minute, James isn't writing that to them. He's writing it to his brothers and sisters, the 12 scattered tribes. He's writing it to us. So what does that look like? Well, fairly recently, and a few of you may know this because my mum turned around and told everyone as a proud mum that she is, but uh, fairly recently, um, I went through a a panel process at work. It was to decide whether or not I would move to, 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 the, next, to the next role. Um, and as with all of these things, I went through an interview. Um, and I don't know if Jack's there. I think Jamie's up with youth. But I'm in a discipleship group, actually, with a few, few guys from church. Um, and they will say to you that I absolutely love questions. I like, I like deep questions. There's normally a silence, and then I kind of try and come in with a question. Everyone looks at me, and they're like, oh, what are you doing? Because I think the questions really reveal a lot about where you are and kind of what's on your heart when you, when you truthfully think on them and answer them. And anyway, I was sat in this interview, and as with all interviews, you don't know what you're going to get asked, but there's some that you can pretty much guarantee are going to come up. And lo and behold, I was sat there and they turned around and they said, so Sam, why do you want this role? So I took a deep breath and I sat there and I thought long and hard. And I looked back at them and I said, because I really, really want to tell people that I used to work with that I got this role before them. I, re- I want to stick it to them. I, I, I'm, I know I'm the best person for this job. I wouldn't mind a little bit of extra cash. Always goes a, a long way. The power that comes with it, being able to boss people around a little bit more. Or just the fact that I turned around and said, I've poured absolutely everything into this. And if I don't get it, I'm going to be distraught. I didn't answer the question that way. I doubt that I'd have got the job if I'd have answered the question that way. But I can assure you at times in my life, every single one of those answers has been truthful. I use my job and that might resonate with some people, it might not resonate with some people, but I have poured at times everything that I possibly am into my job. And I felt that I've got so much back, but I can tell you that, that all of it, the well done, the good, good job, Sam, the promotions, the success that comes with it ends very quickly. And you get home and you feel empty and you feel lost. And you feel like you haven't invested in the things that matter. I'd done exactly what James says here and I'd put my faith in the world. And it's very clear in this passage what the response to that actually is. And it's not just my job, but the more I pour myself into that, I sacrifice other relationships. Sarah hasn't had the best of my time. I get agitated, I get frustrated, I get angry. Even when things go right and you feel good for a little while afterwards, you think, was that it? Is that what I worked this hard for? Part of the message that we're hearing from James here is that the world and what we are striving for will never be enough. 
there will never be enough well dones and promotions if that is where you're putting your faith. So like I said before, maybe that doesn't resonate with people. And I love questions. <laughs> so why don't I do this? Why don't I just invite... I'm going to ask a few questions. You could close your eyes or you could sit there. But, but, but why don't you reflect on these? And uh, I think at the moment, um, Sarah told me that Blankety Blank is back on our TV screens, which is uh, absolutely wondrous for some people. Um, not so me. I, I pretty much just watch sport, but you know. So we're going to play a little bit of that. So fi please finish this sentence. I welcome you. Everything will be okay when. Everything will be okay if. Don't worry, I have. If only I had, then everything would be okay. What comes to mind when I read those out? What fills in the blanks? I've filled in the blanks with so many things in, uh, in my past. Everything will be okay when I get a holiday. <laughs> I'm absolutely knackered, but you know what? If I can just get to the next holiday, then everything will be okay. Everything will be okay if I get this promotion at work. Everything will be okay if that person realizes that they're being an idiot and comes to me and says sorry. <laughs> Don't worry, I have Arsenal Football Club to warm my heart at the weekends. <laughs> I can assure you that one has failed on me many, many, many a time. What does this lead to when we fill in the blanks with those things? James tells us what it leads to, and he uses some really, really, like I said, quite brutal words. Fights, quarrels, murders. Our desires are at war within us. One of the things that I really reflected on when I was writing this and just praying about it with God was the sense of a, a midlife crisis. Do you know when people just get to life and they think, is this it? Funnily enough, I actually looked up the definition of a midlife crisis. I'll, I'll grab it for you, just for, just for laughs. And it says, excuse me, sorry, I just need to find it on my notes. A loss of self-confidence and feeling of anxiety or disappointment that can occur in middle age. A loss of self-confidence and feeling of anxiety and disappointment. I think I had that four times last week before I got out of bed on a Monday. <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible definition, isn't it? But it's how, that's where we find ourselves so often. James turns around and he says it is because we are looking to the world. We are friends with the world, so we are enemies of God. What then is the answer? Well, I'd like to think that it's not going to come as a surprise. But one of the reasons why I absolutely love James is he's very quick with the rod, but he's also pretty good with the staff at guiding us towards where we need to be. So we'll have a look at the next verses. So James 4, verses 5 to 10. And again, I think the words will come up behind me. Oh, sorry, 5 to 10. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow one of the verses from the, from, from the previous slide. 
Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Again, that's not another easy passage. And actually, I was, I was talking about it and, uh, and, and praying on it a, a lot. And uh, one of the things that really came out that stood out to me was this sense of jealousy. Um, and it's something that I've probably struggled with as I've kind of worked through the Bible on a, on a number of times when, when God is described as a jealous God and he is jealous. So we see this in, 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 uh, in verse 5. So he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell in us. And obviously, like I said, this part of the passage has moved from what the problem is and he's starting to look at what the solution is, what we're being called to do. And I thought to myself, I'm really struggling to marry up this sense of, of jealousy. And the more I've, I've looked at commentaries on this, the more I've prayed over this, I really think that it is because we completely misunderstand the concept of jealousy because we've tainted it with human nature. And we're not talking about jealousy that we see in our friends and family and loved ones or co-workers or other Christians or people on the street. We're talking about God being jealous. He yearns jealously after us. So what does that, what does that mean? Well, we have a look at really what jealousy is, and I kind of thought to myself a few times, what am I jealous of? Events, people that I want to be with that I can't be because others are, things that I want to do that other people are getting to do instead of me. And the one common thing that came out in all of that was an absolute desire and love that I had for something. I'm jealous of my wife if I don't get to spend time with her and she spends time with other people. Why? Because I utterly adore her and I love her and it's something that I <laughs> and so I'm jealous of, of her time or, or, or my niece I'm jealous when other people get to spend time with her I'm jealous when friends get to do things that I really want to do and so the one thing that I really started coming back to here was an absolute and utter love you can't be jealous of something unless you love it and you cherish it and it's when you don't get it that you then get this sense of jealousy. I had a look at the, some of the closer translations to what jealousy is, and it is built out of that utter love that something has. And that starts to get us a lot closer to what we're looking at here when we, when we say that God's jealous and he yearns after us. We then taint it with all the things that come with human feelings of jealousy like resentment and frustration and anger. It's quite a pitiful thing to be, isn't it, jealous? It's used as an insult. Oh, you're just jealous. Look at you. But when we're looking at God, it's not that at all. It's the purest sense of jealousy. He utterly loves and adores us, and he wants to be with us. That's what really spoke to me as I read this, and I think, wow, that an option for us and we're looking at this that doesn't seem 
That doesn't seem right. And I actually think that sometimes we miss the miracle that we're living in here. The Christian story that all of us are a part of. We're coming up to Easter and we get to experience all of that. And the, 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 the verse that kept on coming back to me was, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And I just think that, that is what we're being offered here. James turns around and says, you are frustrated and disappointed and angry and quarreling because you are putting your faith in all of this that doesn't mean anything in the world and you have this available to you. Turn to him, build your house on the bedrock of that and forget all of this, I'm going to say rubbish. But what do we need to do? Well, we need to turn to God and we are asked more than just turn to him. We need to repent, realise what we're doing wrong, admit that we're doing those things wrong and give those things back to God. It says in the passage, excuse me, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And then what then are we promised if we do that? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your, ha uh, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I've put here in my notes, put your faith in the world and it will always fail you. But turn to the Lord and he will exalt you. Like I said, that is a bedrock on which we can build our lives. So what does that mean? The devil will flee. It's a pretty amazing and powerful promise, isn't it? Well, it means exactly that. The devil won't just go, mm, yeah, no, okay. The devil will flee. Does that mean that all of the things that we were talking about in the, in, in the first passage, we, we suddenly receive them, we get them? No. Does it mean that the world will become a perfect and wonderful place? Unfortunately not. But what will happen is, is all of that will fall away. Because as we look to God, the rest of it just starts to pale and just not matter. Have you ever had one of those situations where you look around and you'd been worrying about something? Something's been on your mind. Maybe it's your work emails. Maybe it's money problems. And you just sit around and you take stock of something and you just go, wow, why on earth was I worrying about all of that? It's an amazing analogy when you're with friends or family and you're just with each other. And I think a lot of us experience that coming out of COVID when eventually we could just get together or I could give someone a hug. And I just think, why was I worrying about all the rubbish that was happening at work? That is like compared to this. And that is just a small part of what we have. And the words of, I, 
as I was uh, preparing this, uh, this sermon this morning, kind of thought to myself, listening to Brian, you can't not get in quotes of worship songs. Unfortunately, the worship songs that I have are probably a little bit more modern. I would, I've never really done hymns, but there was one that came to me and Sarah, actually, and we were sat thinking about um, drinking a coffee and thinking about this, and this came to our minds. And all the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. How amazing is that? That is the promise we have. It's not that we get all of this stuff. It just pales into insignificance in the light of God's glory and grace. And again, one thing that I'm reminded of as I, as I prepared this was uh, the challenge, therefore, of why things are so difficult if we, if we do this. And, and actually, we need to remember that while we've split this into chapters and, and passages, that's, that's a means for us to make it easy to read. And we shouldn't forget everything that in James has come before this and the important message that we've already been given. And actually, a good few weeks ago now, I think probably second week of our, of our series, Brian was talking about superstanding. Can you remember that? And using the, the trials and tribulations to really hone our faith and the, and the promises that came with that. And that, that sermon really spoke to me. Um, and I really felt that there were some words from that that, that were relevant to, to, to the message this morning. Um, and so what I decided was, if Brian said it well, why, why rewrite it? I needed to prepare a sermon and I have no problems with plagiarism. So I just went back and cut, cut and pasted some of his into this. <laughs> So I speak from Brian's words this morning. He, he shared an amazing personal story of his friend who had lost his daughter um, in a drink driving accident um, and was hit, sorry, was hit by a drink driver. And Brian reminds us this. It was the fool that took life, but God in his divine alchemy can turn bad things to good. God's love is absolute, unconditional and unchanging but so is his decision to put earth in the care of mankind and to give it to us and to give to us mankind free will. So each of us can choose to rebel and go his own way or to love and follow and enjoy God. Brian goes on to talk about the promise that we have there and it's at the end of James 1 verses 4 that he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Wow. As I read that, I was just like, this. Forget all of that other world stuff. Forget what was happening this morning, what I've been putting my faith in. But turning back to God, because it's that and God's grace that can inspire us to works that we've already heard, that makes me wake up in the morning and go, this is worth me doing this. This is why I'm here on a Sunday. This is why I go to small group on a Thursday. This is worth it. So last and final point uh, before I uh, invite the worship band back. Another reason why I absolutely love James is he just seems to be quite a, uh, a, a clever man. He seems to know his fellow Christians very well. Um, and so at the end of all of that, we, we, we've got another couple of verses um, 
that, uh, that, that James includes. So, so we're talking, looking at verses uh, 11 and 12. And when I f- first read this, I'll, I'll read it in just a sec, but I think it's there. <laughs> when I first read this, I thought that we'd gone full circle. So we start with James as he says, here's the problem, here's what you're doing, here's what you're doing wrong. And then he turns around and says, this is solution, turn back to God. And then he, we've tagged on these couple of verses in this, uh, in this section. And I thought we were back to him telling us what we were doing wrong again and kind of a, a full circle. And he says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers or sis- and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or sister or judges his brother or sister speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And I kind of thought, and I thought, well, why didn't he include this with verses 1 to, to 4, 1 to 5 that we've already said? Like, this is, all, this is all the stuff that you're doing wrong. This is why you anger. This is why you're, you're, you're asking for things and you're not getting. But ordering is really important. And I think the reason why James puts this here is he says, I've got this amazing message for my fellow brothers and sisters, but I'm pretty sure that when I tell it to them, they're going to go and do one thing. And that's they're going to turn around and point the finger and think, you're a bit too worldly. You're hearing this message. How many of us this morning, as we've heard this, have started thinking about other people that we know that maybe need to hear this? Other people that maybe are a little bit too involved in the world. Maybe it's possessions, maybe it's a job, maybe it's far too many holidays than we can appreciate for them. Like I said, maybe it's bigger things like relationships. Or people that we're angry with that we think need to come and say sorry to us. But how much of what I've run through do do we start to think about other people? And James knows this. He's seen the mistakes happen. We know who James is, what he's been through, the half-brother of Jesus. I think he talks from experience that he turns around and says, don't look at other people. Don't judge other people. There's there's someone that's a bit bigger and more important than you than that, that and he's got all the facts. Think on yourselves. What is it that you're holding on to? What is it that you've put your faith in? What is it that you feel like you can't live without? And take that to God. So as I just summarise, I'll invite the the worship team up, please. So what does that look like? Like I said, I think some of it is a self-diagnosis. Sarah and I have been doing that this week together and some raw things have come up and we're taking that to God and we are, we are praying over it and we're not going to point the finger and try and judge people, I'm sure that we will fall into that and we will repent and we will go through that cycle but it's through open and honest discipleship and I think that's in a small group and that's here on a Sunday that I'm going to turn around and say, do you know what guys, this is what I'm struggling with the brothers and sisters that I absolutely love and have been enjoying getting closer to God with and really diving into his scripture, I'm going to turn around and say, this is what I know I need to take to God. This is what I'm struggling with. Because what we're then given, that's worth turning up on a Sunday for. That's worth singing and dancing and dedicating your life to. And that's what our youth group have dedicated their life to this morning. Nothing that's in the world but 
God's, his grace, the amazing things that he has for us. Amen.